One is good, the other is bad. One is temporary, the other is final. One can lead to life, the other does lead to death. We're talking here about conviction versus condemnation. Now those are two words that people often use interchangeably in casual conversation, but theologically they mean very different things. To convict someone is to make them aware of a particular sin in their life. To condemn someone is to set yourself up in judgment of that person and to say, in effect, that they're going to hell. To convict someone in a loving way is a good thing. It's what St. Paul is getting at in Colossians 3 when he tells us to admonish one another. That's conviction. And all of us need to be convicted at times because we're all sinners. That's why I said at the very beginning that it's good to be convicted. Notice I did not say it's pleasant to be convicted. I didn't say it's pleasant because that would be a lie. And my mama taught me never to lie. The fact is, getting convicted is very often usually a very unpleasant experience. Nobody, after all, likes to be told they're wrong. Nobody likes to be told that they need to change some aspect of their life. But sometimes, even the best among us are wrong, and even the best among us do need to change. Now, the good news is, if we respond to the unpleasant experience of being convicted by repenting of our sins, and by making the effort to change our life for the better, the unpleasantness will only be temporary, as I indicated earlier. And it will lead us one step closer to life, the eternal life, and the eternal happiness that God has waiting for us in his heavenly kingdom. So that's conviction. It's good, it's temporary, and it can lead to life. The sad and tragic thing, of course, my brothers and sisters, is when people get convicted but feel like they're being condemned. That's a real problem. It happens a lot. They misinterpret their experience. For example, when a man who's been unfaithful to his wife hears a homily in which the priest condemns the sin of adultery, he can feel like he's being condemned along with the sin even though he's only being convicted. The same can happen to a post-abortive woman who hears a talk condemning abortion, or to a tax cheat who hears a homily condemning thievery. In cases like these, men and women are being convicted of a particular sin that they've committed, not condemned, even though it might feel to them, might seem to them, like they are being condemned. One man who understood the difference between conviction and condemnation was the great St. Augustine, who lived way back in the 4th century. Most of us know Augustine's story, but for the few who might not, he lived a very hedonistic life for the first 31 years he was on planet Earth, kept his mother on her knees day and night, 
praying feverishly for his conversion. Well, eventually his sinful lifestyle, his sinful habits took their toll on him, as sinful habits always do, and he ended up a very confused young man. He ended up actually on the verge of despair. And one day when he was in the city of Milan with a friend of his trying to make sense of his life, he heard a child off in the distance singing a song. It struck him because he had never heard this particular song before. And one of the lines really stood out to him. Pick it up and read it. Pick it up and read it. Augustine thought that maybe God was trying to speak to him at that moment, so he found a copy of the Bible nearby And he picked it up and he decided to read the very first passage that his eyes fell upon. And that turned out to be the text from Romans 13 where St. Paul says, Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual excess and lust, not in quarreling and jealousy, rather put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. That was the moment when Monica, his mother's prayers, were finally answered. That was the moment of Augustine's conversion to Christianity. And that was the event that put him on the road to becoming Saint Augustine. But you see, all of that would never have happened if Augustine had interpreted this event in the wrong way. Augustine realized that God, through these verses of the Bible, was convicting him not condemning him. If he had thought that God was condemning him, he would have thrown in the towel. He would have given up. He probably would have died in despair. But he knew better. He knew the Lord was convicting him in a powerful way of his past sins, his many past sins, and extending him an invitation, an invitation to repent. And he did. Thank God. Which brings us at last to the gospel story we just heard from John chapter 8, this powerful story of the woman caught in adultery. The scribes and the Pharisees, unfortunately, responded to this woman with condemnation. In their minds, she was a hopeless sinner. There was no use for her. and She needed to be disposed of. And they were ready, willing, and able to do that until Jesus began writing on the ground. Now the mystery is, what was Jesus writing? Well, we don't know. We're not sure what he was scribbling there in the dirt. But one theory is, he was writing the sins of the people in the crowd, the sins of the people who were getting ready to stone this woman. And if that was the case, he obviously started from the top and worked his way on down, because the Bible says that they left one by one, beginning with the elders. Obviously, in some way, shape, or form, Jesus convicted them. He convicted all of them. But he also convicted the woman. Recognizing the bad attitude, the condemnatory attitude of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said to the woman after they had all left, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. Jesus responded, nor do I condemn you. One of the reasons, by the way, why Jesus did not condemn her is that the condemnation of people is not 
for this life. Strictly speaking, condemnation only comes after death. It comes after death for those who die in the state of mortal sin. Now it's true, you can condemn someone in your heart in this life, which is what the scribes and Pharisees did with respect to this adulterous woman. But true condemnation only comes for people after they take their final breath. Not before. Before, there's always hope. The last line of the story ties everything together. Jesus says to the woman, Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Obviously, Jesus had read her heart. He could do that since he was God. And he knew that she was sorry for what she had done. But that did not lead him to excuse her adultery. Not at all. Quite to the contrary. He explicitly called what she had done a sin. And yet at the very same time, and in the very same instant, he extended to her his mercy and forgiveness. Don't you find it interesting and rather ironic? The religious people here, the quote-unquote religious scribes and Pharisees, they got convicted of their sins. But what did they do? How did they respond? They closed their hearts to Jesus and walked away with their sins still on their souls. While this supposedly evil woman, who also got convicted, responded to her experience of conviction by opening her heart to Jesus and staying with him and having her sin taken away. Which means that it's her example and not theirs, not the scribes and the Pharisees' example that God wants us to follow. Let me conclude this morning by saying that we should all pray at this Mass for the grace to remember. We should pray for the grace to remember this Gospel story every time the Lord convicts us of an unrepented sin in the future, a sin that we've either ignored in the past or denied or tried to rationalize away in some manner. Because if we always do remember this Gospel story, and then respond to our conviction, like this woman responded to hers, then we will also be forgiven. And most important of all, my brothers and sisters, we will never, ever, ever be condemned.